had a Sweden. Yeah, we had a download in Sweden. Dang, yo. Mm-hmm. We had one in Canada from specifically Ontario. We had one in Virginia. 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 One in Virginia. In Virginia. Two in California. Hey, all right. Well, we're, I mean, that's not terrible. That's something. They're spread, but it's one each, so. I mean, yeah, it's but. It's probably <laughs> accidental. <laughs> <laughs> accidental? How do you accidentally an entire podcast? But they didn't an intent- accidentally an entire podcast. They accidentally did a single episode of a podcast. <laughs> I have to believe it was at least partially intentional, man. <laughs> It was probably, you're, you're probably right, it was probably partially intentional, and then they listened to maybe five minutes, and they were like, yeah, I'm good. It, as long as it's not the first episode, it's not terrible, but if they listen to the first episode, we're fucked. Yeah. Although, okay, now that, to be fair, we've had ten total downloads from Washington. Four yeah. Four from Kentucky. That's not, All right. That's not nothing. Two from Ontario, two from Quebec. Thank you to our Quebecois listener. One from the UK, and then of course our weird five from Russia. <laughs> <laughs> who then vanished and, God I hope they're okay <laughs> Welcome to Creature Crunch The podcast where we take a creature uh, Send it against your cities In hopes that you uh, Do the smart thing and build a giant robot To fight back My name is Matt And I'm Ron Perlman Shiny shiny shoes uh, Today we are finishing up Mayomo del Toro with None other than Pacific Rim Of course Yeah and like holy shit this this movie and us, man. <laughs> uh, this one of this is obviously one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh-huh. Um, it's my favorite non-Godzilla kaiju movie, uh-huh. hands down. Um, I remembered seeing the like stuff from this movie before it came out, and my first thought was, "This can't be real. There's no way this is real." Yeah, yeah. Like when, when the trailers for this first started coming out, and like the preview images and stuff were like, "Okay, somebody took took me and Matt and was like, okay, we're gonna make a." mind from these two bozos brains or uh-huh. a, a movie from these two bozos brains and it was just like okay <laughs> yeah no I, I just remember watching it. i was like there's no way this is real this is too good to be real yeah it's, and no it's real and i freaking loved it love pacific rim to yep. death like th- this was a huge movie we drove out of town to go see it we went to a was it an we IMAX? went to imax, IMAX yeah we yeah. went to imax with like a million people and huge group of people with us, yeah, yeah, and like my brother and his partner at the time went with us, and they named their kid after the main character in this movie. Like uh-huh. that is how big that's, of a movie this was for us. That's nothing. That's not insubstantial. And is, right. is one of your dogs named after Gypsy Danger? Um, no, I not on purpose anyway. Okay, it just kind of ended up that way. Like. My, my brother's partner was like, why don't we name this dog Gypsy? And I was like, I would rather not, because that's kind of an offensive name. Yeah. And then they're like, yeah, but robot. And I was like, fuck, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can't argue with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, this, is, this was a very largely influential movie for us. Yeah. And it was fun to revisit it, especially for the Animal del Toro. And mm-hmm. um, if I'm being honest, especially in uh, in hindsight, I couldn't think of any better movie to end Animal del Toro Seriously, on. seriously. Uh, we, we did try something different that didn't pan out. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, uh, so obviously we love this movie. Uh, you can watch it online. Um. <laughs> I, I had, I you know, I obviously own a copy of this. It's one of the like movies that I, I not only own, but I know where the DVD is. Uh huh. Um, and I hadn't watched it in a while, and it's weird to go back and watch DVDs from that era because like anymore, it's just like you put the movie in and then you play the movie or you 
just stream it, and then there's the movie. There was 87 million trailers before this movie started. <laughs> like, holy shit, there was movie... Like, I got a trailer for fucking Seventh Son? Oh, geez. And it's like, who the hell remembers that movie? And then there was other stuff that I, like, can't even remember. There was trailers for video games that were coming out at the time. Wow. And it's like, I, I can I please just watch my my giant robot, giant monster movie? I don't know, but at the same time, those are almost like its own time capsule. I, like, I ended up skipping through most of them because I was like, okay, I'll, I'll watch them, I'll watch them. You know, the trailers are fun. And, like, the first few started playing, and I was like, holy shit, this, it's not ending. So I just started <laughs> hitting the, the fast-forward button on my on my controller and just... I had to skip, like, ten trailers. Like, Jeez. it just kept going. So, I... Because I had this down... I had this movie, obviously, as well. And it always has the digital download code anymore. Yeah. Um, but that website does not exist anymore. It, ex- it was a it was a harrowing reminder that if you buy something digitally, you do not own it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I still had the code in there, and it... I was like, oh, cool, I can just redeem this, and then I'll just stream it. I won't have to pop in the, the DVD. And then I noticed it expired in 2015... <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, obviously I can't. Yeah, I went to the website, and it, it came up straight up like, this website does not exist anymore. They were shut down in, like, 2017 or some yeah, shit. Yeah, it was like, Ultraviolet, oh, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they got bought, like, they got bought out by Voodoo. And Voodoo is, like, aligned with Movies Anywhere, which is, like, a conglomerate of all these different right. movie redemption sites. And it's just, it's insane. yeah. Like, so and that then you was can watch them on you, you when you buy those movies or, or redeem your codes. You can watch them on YouTube, and it's yeah. just like what the? F- I don't understand any of this. But anyway, we'll move into this. Um, if you haven't seen this, you know, seven-year-old movie, go go watch check it. it out. Watch it. It's, I mean, if you like anything related to the genre, you should enjoy this movie. Although mm-hmm. that being said, I do remember. Um, maybe it was just because of the, the circles that I followed back then, but there was a lot of vitriol around this movie. Yeah, from people like the people who loved it loved it. Yeah. People who hated it freaking hated it with a passion. Uh-huh. Like, I'll never forget following the writer, Travis Beecham, oh, on, on social media. He was constantly rebuking, like, criticisms and yeah. answering questions to try to plug plot holes. That And, I mean, to be fair, I don't think he did that great of a job in some instances. But, like, I just, I will never forget how much people hated this yeah. movie and wanted to pick it apart and attacked over it. There there was people who were pissed because it wasn't Godzilla. I remember that. Like, there there was a, a contingency of the Godzilla fandom that was like, this should have been the American Godzilla movie and stuff like that. Because I, I, I sure. very much remember that. There were people who were mad just because it, you know, it's a big monster robot movie. It's like... That's it's very a, niche. It, that's a specific audience. Uh-huh. And it's not like a super well-respected genre. And... Even though it, it very much should be. Right. And um, then there was, like, people were like, I can't believe Del Toro's doing such a schlocky f- genre movie instead of, you know, a Pan's Labyrinth or something. And Yeah, that's, I could see that. I could see that. But I It's like, no, fuck you. This movie is genius. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember you and I were both following a lot of people and there was like an exodus where we just kind of unfollowed certain people because of their yeah. opinions on this movie. Yeah, and it's yeah. Like, Monster I mean, I, Tumblr I, was crazy back yeah, in the day. <laughs> right? I mean, I shouldn't say opi- we didn't stop following them because of their opinions on this movie. Because, I mean, you can have your opinion right. on the movie. Right. It was who just the, the vitriol, especially towards Travis Beecham, who was, like, very... A, a public-facing part of that movie. Absolutely. So. But, uh... Like, and then, like, I... Just... The fact that this movie 
lost out to Grown Ups 2. I am now like I before that happened at the box office like Adam Sandler was a guy whose movies I usually didn't care for but just kind of ignored to my mortal enemy. <laughs> and then he did Uncut Gems which was fucking a fantastic and now I have to rethink opinions. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, but like the just the fact that it, it didn't just lose out to Grown Ups 2, it got destroyed by Grown Ups 2 mm, at the yeah, box office is yeah. fucking insane and just made me so mad. Yeah, and then of course this and movie the reason has... we didn't get a sequel. <laughs> I was going to say, this movie has kind of a sordid uh, future after that. Yeah. But, uh, uh, we, we're it... not here to talk about any of that. Yeah, it's really <laughs> a will... shame that they didn't make any spinoffs or sequels or hey, anything. Hey, now, I will defend Pacific Rim the Black. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I will defend that series. I still haven't watched it so, because I'm afraid to. I haven't watched the second season yet, which just dropped at the time of this recording. Oh, but, did it? Uh, okay. Um, but the first season I legitimately enjoyed. Okay. Um, and Chris, I am going to subject you to, uh, to what you do not I'll believe. Because <laughs> that movie doesn't exist. <laughs> and it's a shame because like this universe was built up to be so big and... There's yeah. so much in it, and like all the the Jaegers have distinct personalities, and all the Kaiju have very distinct looks and personalities, and then it's just like it like kind of ended on a wet fart. Like it did, it did. But well, let's uh, let's go ahead and jump into this, Chris, because um, we we do have a lot to talk about. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, we do. Pretty dense movie to, to unpack here, but. Um, Again, spoilers, um, be forewarned. And here we go. So, uh, as we mentioned, the, the screenplay was adapted by Del Toro and uh, Travis Beecham, um, which was adapted originally from a story by Travis Beecham. Mm -hmm. So, uh, they, they very much worked on this together um, and went into this. And like you were saying, Beecham was kind of a public figurehead when it came to... yeah. Just the plot of this movie, like and, I, and the he world, was constantly in yeah. the world. Yeah, there was a lot of world building. Um, we'll we'll kind of cover that here in a second, but uh, we start off with some definitions of the two terms that we are going to hear pretty frequently in the movie: uh, mm -hmm. kaiju and Jaeger. Uh, kaiju, of course, being uh, any monster movie fan is going to know the, yeah. the term, but uh, Japanese for strange beast, which is now commonly associated with giant monsters, mm -hmm. which is usually you know die kaiju, but whatever, neither here nor there. And then, of course, Jaeger, which is German for hunter. And yeah. uh, those are, of course, the robots. Uh, and then we get voiceover from our main character, Raleigh, uh, who gives a lot of world building in a very small amount of time. Yeah, yeah. Because um, we go through, like, quite a few years of what's going on with this and a lot of events. Yeah, the movie, the movie picks up officially in 2015, I believe. Raleigh at this point is an adult, and mm -hmm. he says in the uh, in the voiceover that I was 15 when the first kaiju might land in San Francisco. Yeah. So it's a, it's been an ongoing thing, um, and of course uh, the, the first kaiju that appeared was uh, was codenamed Trespasser. Um, attacked San Francisco, mm -hmm. destroyed the Golden Gate Bridge, and then in a good chunk of the city. Well, not only just the city, but trounced through like six other cities right. heading inland before the military is finally able to take it down. And it's not explicitly... This is one of those backstory things where you have to actually delve into the history. But, um, like, according to Beecham and, and subsequent uh, other, like, media, um, 
conventional weapons didn't work against the mm -hmm. monsters at all. Uh, and they actually had to use three tactical nukes to take it down, and it pretty much wiped out most of the uh, the, the West Coast at that point. Uh -huh. um, and they were like, okay, well, this is a one-and-done thing. And then six months later, another one uh, named Hundun um, attacks uh, and, and goes after Manila. And then the third one hit Cabo. And then the fourth. And then we learned this was not going to stop. This was just the beginning. And, and they eventually realized that uh, nuclear options were not... Like, nuclear weapons were not the uh, the, the, the solution to this well, because yeah. they were probably causing just as, about as much or even more environmental damage than the kaiju were. Yeah, yeah. And so they build giant robots because, of course, you do. <laughs> That's what you yeah, do to fight sure. giant kaiju. You what I do. You build giant robots. Apparently, uh, approximately 100 different kaiju and 100 different Jaeger were originally designed. That's insane. Yeah, I mean, we only see a few in the uh, in the movie, but talking about back when the movie was being promoted, like, there were posters oh, and, pro yeah. like, propaganda-style posters of different... The marketing push for this movie was enormous. Yeah, and I, I kind of... I feel like I was cheated out of it because I have the tendency to... When I'm really excited about something, I will ignore it because I don't want spoilers right. of any kind. So I would always see these posters of all these different Jaegers, and I'm like, no, no, I want to see like them in the, the movie. The one and that then of always they're not in the movie. <laughs> yeah, the one that always stands out to me is Romeo Blue, because Romeo Blue had like a lot of posters and and conceptual art and stuff done with it. It appears in a split second in the movie. Yeah, yeah, most of the the Jaegers and Kaiju uh -huh. do. I mean, in the movie, we, for all intents and purposes, see four Jaegers mm -hmm. and maybe half a dozen, a little bit more than that, kaiju. Yeah, yeah. But there were hundreds designed. And, like, some of those would get used in the comics, and I'm sure they got used in Pacific Rim Black and stuff like there's, that. There's too. a lot more in in other media, for sure. Yeah. But uh, I'll never forget the marketing of this movie was very much focused in on that. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I, I remember there being on the website, like, that global map you could go to and it's like here's the Jaeger from this country and you'd click on it and like zoom in and show like a picture of the uh, Jaeger and have its name or then there was a thing where it's like you could design your own Jaeger to take the fight to the kaiju <laughs> and it was like it I mean it was just like a randomized thing where like you hit a button and yeah, out you your piece together from other existing Jaegers right right but still but it this was really was, cool this movie was supposed to be a thing uh huh and like for those of us who love it, it very much is. Right. But it never quite reached that in, like, the global consciousness. Mm -hmm. So after our voiceover, uh, you know, we, we learned that the Jaegers are, uh, were instrumental in, in fighting back the Kaiju. They mm -hmm. worked. Uh, Jaeger pilots were basically rock stars. They yeah, were the new yeah. celebrities because they were, they, they were almost, for all intents and purposes, superheroes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we learned that uh, the, the, the Jaegers cannot be piloted by only one person. It has to be... It has to be two people acting as the brain of the Jaeger. Yeah, two people who have to have a, enough compatibility mentally mm -hmm. and physically even to to pilot the Jaeger together. They literally link, link minds. Yeah. Um, the movie then cuts into uh, to the year 2020, which... I think there's some hindsight Ooh. significance there, but damned if I can nail it down. Yeah, especially um, when they start talking about, like, the the kaiju plague that comes from the blood and stuff like that. <laughs> the kaiju blue. Yeah, kaiju blue, because the, the kaiju's blood is poisonous. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, okay, there's a big, there's a disease that's happening in the year 2020. 
as well as mass destruction and so many dead people. And hmm, come on, come on, Del Toro, stop doing that. Um, <laughs> but we uh, we are introduced then to uh, to the voice or to the face behind the voice, uh, Raleigh and his uh-huh. older brother Yancey. Um, they are their bros and damn good at piloting giant robots. Uh-huh. Um, Raleigh, of course, is played by Charlie Hunnam, who um, I have a side note here. Uh, he. <laughs> He, once upon a time, played a 15-year-old gay boy in a uh, TV show called Queer as Folk. Yeah, I, I remember when that show was pretty big. So I, I never watched it. I was like, unwa- I'm familiar on... with it completely. So. Showtime? Yeah, it was, show- it was yeah. Showtime. And we, I didn't have Showtime, so I could not watch it. Right. And that probably would have been kind of instrumental to little queer me, but... <laughs> I, oh, well! Yeah, I thought of you when I read this. Thank you. But I didn't... Uh, no, I'm unfamiliar with it, but... Um, and then Yancey is played by Diego Klattenhoff, who played a character named Cameron... In Autobiography of an Insect. It's a short film. Um, Alex Adams is an introverted comic book artist in university. He falls in love with his eccentric art history professor, Miss Denise Keaton, while in a relationship with an outgoing fellow student, Rebecca Cooper. Alex's struggle to find a balance between his art and the world around him is expressed through his comic book alter ego, The Bug Ate Legs. Which I... Whatever. Uh, who works in the city sewer, but longs for acceptance. Okay, so who's Cameron? Uh, so the movie has four credited roles, <laughs> and our, uh, our our man Diego plays the four the uh, the only one not mentioned in the synopsis. Okay. So I don't know, <laughs> but he is exactly one fourth the cast. He's just not the synopsis. Jesus. Okay. But um, you gotta stop playing in the fucking sewer system of IMDb, man. <laughs> never. It's where the comedy comes from. Um, we are also introduced to uh, to Stacker Pentecost, mm-hmm. played by the ever amazing Idris Elba, yeah. um, <laughs> who brings so much gravitas to this uh, role. Like, holy shit! Idris Elba is like, we talk. Uh, <laughs> I am. I identify as completely straight. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I am gay for Idris Elba. He <laughs> Idris is Elba amazing. Is the, he is one of the few characters. Like he is one of the men who I would flip teams for. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but uh, we see we see Idris Elba. Um. Oh. Stacker Pentecost. Uh, we're also introduced to a character named Tendo Choi, who's played by Clifton Collins Jr. I'm not um, familiar with him, other than this movie, unfortunately. Yeah, he didn't really have anything That's in, super interesting. He's pretty good. In, no, he, he, I mean, he had some... When I say super interesting in IMDb, I do mean things oh. like autobiography and okay. of an insect. Okay. So. <laughs> but moving along, um, they, they wake up uh, Yancey and... Uh, Yancey and... Yancey. Yancey. <laughs> Yancey and uh, Yancey Raleigh. Raleigh. <laughs> Yancey and Raleigh gain uh, get up. Uh, because there is another kaiju uh, on the way, and they need to go intercept it in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Um, this kaiju is known as Knifehead. Um, uh, Knifehead had a lot of promotional stuff and like was all over the early marketing. Knifehead is one of the more recognizable kaiju. Yeah. Um, I think I even have... I mean, I know I have a figure of Knifehead Yeah, somewhere. I know you do somewhere. But um, Knifehead represents... More than just the kaiju, though. Like Trespasser is the is the kind of uh, the face of the first wave uh-huh. of kaiju. Knifehead is the second wave, whereas finally Otachi is probably the the face figurehead of the third wave. Yeah. Um. And I am kind of giving these designations of waves because the first wave was the you know the initial ones. Knifehead is the first one that adapts. Uh-huh. Knifehead is the is the turning point because. Um, we get this, uh, you know, we obviously get this really, really cool fight scene with Knifehead and uh, Gypsy Danger, um, where they're trying to save this fishing boat despite orders not to because 
they didn't want to, you know, Pips Gus doesn't want to uh, doesn't want to risk the mission to save ten people versus ten million. People. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, they they do end up beating it, and then oh no, it looks like Knife had adapted, it learned, and it gets back up and just revenges the shit out of Gypsy Dan- Danger. Uh, ends up killing Yancey while Neural linked to uh, to Raleigh and destroying Gypsy Danger. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's talk about that real quick. Yeah, we gotta like, gotta yell let's, at the elephant for a bit. Let's let's just address this. Um, Gypsy Danger is the name is not in fact a reference uh, directly. To, yeah. Well, okay, Gypsy it's Danger is not based <laughs> off of the Roma people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is instead named after the British aircraft engine called De Havilland Gypsy mm-hmm. because Gypsy Danger's entire shtick, its entire design, is based off of World War II fighter jets. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's nuclear-powered, and it has, like... The... It's got a big turbine in its yeah, chest. Yeah, it's got mm-hmm. the turbine, yeah, yeah. and it's got, like... I think it's even got pinups painted on it. Yeah, that's sure. part of the problem, though, is the pinups. It, it is part of the problem. So, unfortunately, it, it's it's one of those things where I feel they, the uh, Del Toro, Beecham, and whoever else involved probably could have done a little bit more foresight in yeah. naming this and thing they, slightly they probably better. should have asked a Roma person, like, hey, is this offensive in any way? Right, right. <laughs> But it, it is important that that was definitely not the intention. It wasn't the intention, but, but it was the result. It, it is. Like, so. especially when you find out that, like, the original pinup art was supposed to be a Roma person riding a... Like, a sexy Roma woman riding oh, a missile. no. Yeah. And originally, the, the two pilots of, of Gypsy Danger were Roma 1 and Roma 2. Oh. Okay, that's not coincidence. It's, no, on. it's it's not. But it's... <laughs> like, in, in Beecham still says, like, I didn't intend for anything to be offensive like right. i didn't know that gypsy is considered a slur right right and to be fair i didn't either at the time when, when this movie dropped yeah it was when i saw the backlash that yeah. i was like oh and then i became more sensitive to that yeah yeah and i like to think that people like beecham also did as well yeah but... and he's like i i shouldn't have done that we should have named it something different mm-hmm. and i i if i'm not mistaken even now he still refers to, to the jaeger as lady danger that that would make a lot of sense, and I think I've heard that myself. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, we, we we need to touch up on that. So it, it, it's something you have to keep in mind for this. That even though it wasn't intended on being offensive, it, it is still, still offensive. is offensive. Right, right. Yeah, and intent is not uh, absolution of right. Exactly, of, uh, exactly. Of sin. But but regardless, that's that's where we're at. And so Raleigh is pretty well devastated after this. And we cut to five years later. We get another quick, uh, I don't even, it's not really a montage, but it's more of just told in like news reports and things. Yeah. Where basically we learn that after that point, the, the kaiju began getting bigger, stronger, smarter, and more adaptable. And, and public opinion turned against the Jaeger pilots. Right. Because suddenly they were no longer winning the war. They were no longer keeping the kaiju at bay they yeah. were losing more people were dying and in, in like the, the first little like this is what's happening voiceover from from raleigh like the kaiju are basically cartoon characters like they, they get evolved like turned into cartoon characters right or, which, which is a propaganda move right it's, right it's meant but it's like right after knifehead here they become scary again yep and, and you see a lot you don't see any of like the big mascots like on evening news programs they don't become they're not toys anymore or sneakers or right yeah 
and uh, we see the UN talking to Pentecost, who is pretty much in charge of the Jaeger program. Uh-huh. And the UN is pretty much ready to shut down the Jaeger yeah, program. Yeah, they're ready to shutter it because it, it's not as effective as it was. Yeah, it's it's just not working. Um, but so like, instead, I... <laughs> they want to build a giant wall around the entire entire Pacific to keep the uh, the kaiju out. Which, which I don't understand, man. Yeah, like I, I get the idea behind it. Like, we need to come up with a better solution. Let's separate ourselves. But no, when you start really picking apart that, it's like... The kaiju aren't going to walk up to the wall and be like, oh, man, i got to go home now. Yeah. <laughs> like, worst comes to worst, like, we don't know that the kaiju naturally expire. Like, they're right. just going to continue building up in there. Yeah, and eventually yeah. one of them is going to learn how to crawl on top of another <laughs> one. <laughs> right? And uh, Beecham does say that um, Otachi is not the only flying kaiju. Yeah. So it's like, well, did they encounter flying kaiju before? They, they gotta know that the kaiju are gonna figure out a way over that wall. Yeah. If not and through like, it. Which... <laughs> even the people who are working on the wall are like, this is not gonna work. This is yeah. a useless endeavor. Like, that sign that you see when you, when they're cutting into to Raleigh working on the wall and it says it's gonna be finished never. And <laughs> it's like, everyone knows this is not going to work. They're just kind of... Slapping a band-aid on it. <laughs> not even that. They're just kind of trying to occupy the public until they all die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because they, at this point, they know that there's essentially no future for the universe. Right, right. Instead of in, instead of going through the next logical step of, well, our giant robots aren't working. We better big, build a bigger giant robot. Or something. <laughs> just anything. Like, I, I don't understand. Like, okay, you know those plasma cannons that, 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 uh, Gypsy Danger has. Mm-hmm. Why didn't they just build some mounted versions of those? Right, right. <laughs> like and it just, wouldn't fix the problem, so, but it'd be more useful than a wall. <laughs> so, so I want to. I want to also kind of touch up on at that point uh, as well. Uh, one of, like I said, Beecham did a lot of like redirecting yeah, of hate and trying to address that back in the day. And I remember one of the bigger criticisms that uh-huh. he that was levied against him was the sword. The sword. Yeah, like oh, why didn't they just use the sword? And his argument was, well, it's like well the the kaiju blood is toxic. Yeah. They don't want it spilled everywhere, so they don't use the sword unless it's a last and effort. That's why the but, but at the same time we see Crimson Typhoon's got these giant saw blades. I They're know. using the plasma cannon and bursting holes in them. It's like it's one of the criticisms of that Beecham tries to deflect that I don't think held up, but Yeah. It, it's <laughs> like the reason they didn't use the sword is because that's the robot's Final move. Yeah, like it's it's narratively. Yeah, it, it serves it's the narrative, not the... that's like a staple <laughs> of of super robot stuff. Uh-huh. It, it, you don't start out with your. It's it's why the the Power Rangers don't immediately go into the Megazord and step on the monster, right? Before. Right. <laughs> yeah. No. And and it's in Beecham's whole, you know, redirection of that is the same thing as the same kind of thing as the Power Rangers. Oh, they have a rule about not escalating the fight. Yeah, it's like... When you you think about it, that doesn't make any damn sense. That is the dumbest thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. It's... (laughs) The reason it exists is because it's a convention of the genre. Yep. And I'm fine with that. Like, I am... Yeah, it never bothered me. No, it's... Like, it's the same reason I don't really question why Gandalf didn't summon the eagles to transport to the hobbits to, to Mount Doom. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, yeah, because if they did, there wouldn't be a story. Uh-huh. And, like, you can add justifications in later. Like, okay, he couldn't summon the eagles because it would draw too much attention to the hobbits and Sauron would know where they were and just kill them out of the yeah, sky. Whatever, whatever. And you, you can do that and that's fine. It wouldn't happen because you wouldn't have a story otherwise. Right, right. And, I mean, it even all the way goes back down to, like, other tropes of 
the supervillain has the hero at, at their mercy. Right. It's like, why don't they just kill him? No, they yeah. have to monologue at him. But why doesn't yeah. Goldfinger just shoot James Bond directly in the head? Right, right, <laughs> exactly. It's like, because it, it serves the story, and this is the this yeah. is an extension of that. Yeah. It's just that, I guess that the, uh, I don't, honestly, I don't know if it, like, again, if it was just because I followed the, the right or wrong people at the uh-huh. time, or the right circles, or maybe it was just Beecham actually trying to defend his work, that brought think, light to it and, and honestly fed fuel to the fire. That's probably a big part of it. Like, if he would have just got out there and said, you know, it's it's, it's a, a convention. Go to hell, guys. It, it's, just, it's how that genre works. The robot has a super weapon that mm-hmm. it busted at the end that it didn't do any other time because that's a dramatic point for it to do it. Right. And, like, it'd be, okay, yeah, I understand that. But the fact that he kept trying to justify it with examples that could be contradicted within the same work doesn't quite fly and yeah i think that made the the trolls matter than <laughs> yeah it, it fed them for yeah sure. it fed the little goblins yeah um but yeah like you were saying we we see raleigh is now working on the big ass wall um and we get a news report of um, another monster uh named mudivore breaking through the wall in sydney in 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 no time, like I think yeah, it just like busts right through hour. the wall. Yeah, um, and is only stopped by a Jaeger called Striker uh, Striker Eureka, who was one day away from retirement. <laughs> yeah, literally being like uh, was about ready to be decommissioned and about ready to depart Sydney when the when right the right. So and it just it just happened that uh, Striker Eureka and its pilots were in Sydney there. at the time. Yeah, so um, and this is the first. I think this is the first official mention of. Uh, the category system, like yeah. they, they call uh, they call Mudivore uh, a category four monster. Mm-hmm. Um, now the category system, um, like they did, it didn't exist in the beginning uh, during the like it, it didn't exist until after the Jaeger program was officially right, kind of started. Right. So a lot of the first few monsters don't have categories. Uh, but you have to assume that like Trespasser was a, a cat one. Yeah, you would have to think that, but because otherwise that'd be. Wow. <laughs> right? Now, the category system, and this is something I didn't know until just recently, uh, in-universe is called the Zer- the Serizawa scale. Okay. And uh, to those uninitiated, um, yeah. although that's probably significantly less people now, uh, but Serizawa is the name of the doctor mm-hmm. from the original Godzilla movie. Yeah, the, the creator of the Oxygen the Destroyer. The creator of the Oxygen Destroyer. Which the, destroys oxygen. The very first Godzilla protagonist. Yeah, yeah. And a very, very important name to the Godzilla fandom mm-hmm. and a very important name to the Godzilla as a whole, which is why Ken Watanabe plays Dr. Serizawa in the remakes. In, in the new, is, the movies, because yeah. It's it's an homage to the original. Yep. And this is also an homage to that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, evidently, uh, Beecham and Del Toro wanted to keep as few actual references to other kaiju yeah. monster movies out of this film. Yeah. But and, they and clearly they had some stuff in there. One thing I read is that they didn't want any of the cast to watch or read any like giant monster media during this time period. Because they didn't want anyone's performances or anything to be influenced by other directly by other monster right. movies they instead wanted them to like okay if you've seen a godzilla movie what do you remember about it for like how it went mm-hmm. and that's what they wanted they wanted it to kind of unconsciously reference those movies instead of that's directly neat. saying that's cool but after this attack uh, pentecost tracks down raleigh and convinces him to pilot once again um raleigh is pretty resistant to it because you know his last his last time in a cockpit was pretty traumatic 
I guess, like, since he was drifting with his brother at the time he died, he still got bits of his brother living in his head. And, like, by the time we meet him again, like, after this this gap, he's gone through most of his trauma. Like, yeah. he, he's accepted what happened to him, and he's moved on. We don't have to... Like, this movie is not about Raleigh's man pain. <laughs> it's really not. Which is refreshing. Which is really good. <laughs> but you, you can tell he still has that weight on his shoulders right. to a degree. And, and he is resistant. He's like, I don't want to step... I don't want to drift again. I can't do that yeah, again. Who, it's who, like, you know for what? one thing, who am I going to do it with? Who's going right. to want to do it with me? Right. But it, it doesn't take a huge amount of convincing yeah. to Pente- for Pentecost to actually get Raleigh back on board. Right. Because uh, Pentecost, apparently, um, all of the, the the remaining Jaegers have been relocated to Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, the entire program has just been kind of set up there. And Pentecost has a plan to deal with the kaiju threat, kind of a last-ditch effort. And he wants Raleigh on board. So he... he Recruits Raleigh and then brings him to Hong Kong, and then we get the uh, kind of rapid introduction to three new characters. Mm-hmm. Um, we get we meet Mako Mori. Yeah, we do. Uh, we meet Doctor Newt Geisler, or Newton Geisler, and then Doctor Herman Gottlieb. And uh, to talk about these three because these three are obviously very very important uh-huh. to not just this movie but the franchise in general. Yeah. Uh, but Mako is played by Rinko Kikuchi, <laughs> who I looked into her other. IMDb movies uh-huh. and uh, and of course most Japanese films and I understand Japanese films are a different cultural uh, in a different cultural bubble than American films right. but I did have to point out two of them because I thought they were quite interesting three of them excuse me three of them um, w- one of them she's in a movie more recently called What to Do with a Dead Kaiju that uh, I should really check into yeah that <laughs> sounds... it looks like a cool movie yeah it's it's about uh, a dead kaiju that washes up on the beach or <laughs> basically like a huge carcass uh-huh. and is because just like whales that's starting to bloat because of the gases oh. and stuff oh no and it's Japan trying to figure out what to do with it yeah sounds like a cool movie um, she's also in a movie called We Are Little Zombies which IMDb's only description of is four Japanese orphans form a rock band. <laughs> okay. Uh, and she's in a movie called Assault Girls, which is described as, in the aftermath of a global thermonuclear war, three battle-tested women wage war in a virtual video game against giant mutant sand whales. Holy shit. <laughs> and she plays a character named Lucifer. <laughs> awesome. So... <laughs> I love I love Rinko. She's so awesome. <laughs> she's really great. She, she's like absolutely adorable in this movie, as well as being totally badass. Uh huh. And it just like yeah. It, then, it would Mako's great, and it would really be a shame if like in some theoretical sequel if they just killed her off camera at some point. It would be that would like be I can't shame. imagine anyone would be stupid enough to do that. <laughs> Newt is played by Charlie Day. Yeah, and he's our Charlie Day. He's our Charlie Day for the evening. And he's also great in this movie. And it would be a shame if in like some sort of theoretical sequel that never happened, if they completely assassinated his character in every way. Made him evil or something. Yeah, that'd be dumb. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Herman is played by Byrne Gorman, who is uh, more prolific than I personally realized. <laughs> I, I was not largely familiar with this man's work, and he's in freaking everything. <laughs> He, he's a character actor. Uh, I remember that. He, he's he's in a lot of big things, uh-huh. so including like the the Dark Knight Rises and uh-huh. other movies. I'm like, oh wow, okay. Anyway, so uh, we learned that there are only four Jaegers left. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are there's of course Striker Eureka, who is uh, piloted by a father and son um, team, uh, Herc and Chuck Hansen. Uh, Herc is played by Max Martini. 
and Chuck. <laughs> yeah, that's his name. And uh, nice. Chuck is played by Robert Kaczynski. Yep. Um, and evidently, Striker Eureka was originally intended as the hero Jaeger of the film, not okay. Gypsy Danger. But Del Toro thought that its design was too cold and arrogant. Okay. So that's why we didn't get Striker Eureka as the lead. I mean, it's hard to not focus on on Gypsy Danger for this because she's got such a striking look. Right. Um, but the other ones, of course, are uh, Gypsy Danger. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Crimson Typhoon, who is piloted by triplets um, that are played by Charlie, Lance, and Mark Liu. Three real-life triplets from Canada who have all pretty much the exact same IMDb profiles. Yeah, I imagine <laughs> they get cast a lot or as... They are typecast as triplets. Yeah. <laughs> For obvious, obvious reasons. reasons. Yeah. Um, but Crimson Typhoon's really cool. Crimson Typhoon is really cool. Um, and our first... And only uh, kind of hint that more than two people can pilot a right. can drift together to pilot a single Jaeger, which again begs the question: Is why didn't they just build bigger Jaeger? <laughs> but anyway, regardless, um, we also have Cherno Alpha, who's piloted by a husband and wife, uh, Lieutenant uh, Alexis Kaidnovsky and uh, Lieutenant Sasha Kaidnovsky. Mm-hmm. Um, the former is played by ex-professional wrestler Robert Malay, who would go on to also be in Del Toro's TV series, The Strain. Oh, really? Yep. <laughs> um, and then uh, Sasha is played by uh, Heather uh, Dirksen, who, who's done just a ton of voice work. Yeah. Cherno Alpha has like a very striking look in how like brutalist and utilitarian it is. It's basically a, a nuclear vent on top of legs. Yep. <laughs> And its name is an obvious um, reference to uh, Chernobyl. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting, though, because uh, apparently Gypsy Danger is the only current Jaeger that is nuclear powered. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but whatever. But that's, again, a nod to the, the the idea that Gypsy Danger is based off of the World War II era. Mm-hmm. But um, the plan, uh, as we learn, is to basically strap a nuke to Striker Eureka and send it into the breach in the middle of the Pacific to basically seal it off, to collapse mm-hmm. this wormhole to wherever the kaiju are coming from. Even though, like, other attempts to seal the breach have not worked up till this point. Yeah, yeah. Nothing has worked, but now they plan on just actually sending a nuke in there. Because I guess it's, it's hinted that they fired things at it. Yeah. <laughs> but not actually tried to jump in. But that's, that's the official plan. Uh, so we find uh, Herman and Newt uh, kind of working in their lab together. The two have a an interesting friendship, to say the least. Yeah. And Herman is theorizing that the kaiju attacks will become so frequent that there won't be anything that they can do about it, basically. In the beginning, the kaiju attacks were spaced by 24 weeks. Then 12, then 6, then every two weeks. The last one in Sydney was a week. In four days, we could be seeing a kaiju every eight hours until they are coming every four minutes. Marshal, we should witness a double event within seven days. Numbers do not lie. Politics and poetry promises. These are lies. Numbers are as close as we get to the handwriting of God. Would you give me a moment? There will be a double event. And then shortly thereafter, three. And then four. And then we're dead. I get it. At least that's what Herman theorizes. Uh, Newt theorizes that the kaiju are all clones and wants to drift with a piece of kaiju brain in order to learn as much as he can about them. I don't understand how that's supposed to work because aren't you only supposed to be able to drift with people you have like a big compatibility with? Um, I think 
and it be, this is based off of my own personal theories and uh -huh. what we see in some of the other media. I think that you can really drift with any anybody. Okay. But the the drift is more successful, compatible, and I think more importantly, safe. Okay. When you have a connection with okay. somebody, that makes sense. Yeah. Because otherwise, uh, I would think that finding somebody who's drift compatible with you would be a much bigger deal yeah. than it seems to be. Um, but yeah, they basically want... It's like whenever they're looking for partners, it's mostly just looking for people who are on the same wavelength to get the best out okay. of them. So at least that's... Again, that's how I interpret it. Because otherwise, this wouldn't make any sense. Right, right. Um, <laughs> and, and in Pacific Rim, the Black, um, one of the characters uses this drift technology to basically interrogate people. Oh, wow. Like they, okay. they use it to illegally, obviously, but yeah. mind meld with them in order to learn what they know. So, uh, we learned that, um, Mako really wants to pilot. She's very much interested in being a Jaeger pilot, but Pentecost doesn't want her to, for some reason. And, mm -hmm. um, and we, we think that it's based off of authority at, at this point. Um, we find that, um, that Chuck seems to have a big beef with Raleigh because, you know, their whole mission, like, the idea is that Raleigh is going to be piloting Gypsy Danger with somebody else. Yeah, and, and protecting them while they do the run. Right, and and uh, Chuck doesn't think much of Raleigh. It's mm -hmm. like, you know... Look, your Pentecost bright idea. My old man, he seems to like you, but it's guys like you who brought down the Ager program. To me, you're dead weight. You slow me down, I'm going to drop you like a sack of kaiju shit. I'll see you around, Raleigh. Go, Max. And uh, we find that, like, Mako has selected a bunch of candidates for Raleigh to try out, basically. What, one thing I don't get about the, the candidates that they picked is, like, the triplets are there who pilot Crimson Typhoon. They kind of all three need to be in Crimson <laughs> Typhoon. Right, but, but I don't think that they had any... Like, Crimson Typhoon was not intended to be on the mission. I guess, yeah. So... <laughs> I don't know. Either that or just I, I couldn't tell you. But um but all I know is that yeah, they, they they're doing this sparring match with, with Staves. Uh -huh. Um which I guess is Mako is there to evaluate how they're fighting each other and it's less of a like who can trump who and more of how fast or how compatible like, they seem to be. It's and how much they can react to each other, anticipate each other's moves and right. stuff like that. Right. And Mako seems to be very critical of every candidate, despite the fact that she's the one who handpicked them. Well, that's because she doesn't want any of them to succeed. She wants, she to, wants to be right. the one to do it. And Raleigh realizes this and calls her out. He's like, yeah. I want you to come down here and fight. And Pentecost is like, no at first, but quickly backpedals when Raleigh uh, <laughs> kind of insults the two of them mm -hmm. a little bit, or at least calls them chicken. Can we change this up? How about we give her a shot? No. Stick to the cadet list we have, Ranger. Only candidates of drift compatibility. Which I have, Marshal. Marco, this is not only about a neural connection, it's also about a physical compatibility. What's the matter, Marshal? Don't think your brightest can cut it in the ring with me? Go. After a brief little, like, fight where they seem to be pretty evenly matched. Yeah, they Raleigh, go point for point. Yeah, Raleigh immediately flips. He's like, nope, Mako's my pilot. Like, yep. I feel it. I, there's a connection here. She needs to be my pi my co-pilot. And Pentecost says no. Out of the question. Um, meanwhile, uh, Newt tries to drift with the kaiju brain. 
which goes better than I think it would go. <laughs> it goes better than it goes better than uh, anybody hoped. Um, you know, up to this point, they, it, Herman was pretty sure that that Newt would get himself killed because, mm-hmm. again, like you were pointing out, like you have to be compatible, and and I think that's where that safety thing comes in. Yeah, it's like they don't know that they're compatible. I mean, this is an alien creature. And but, like, what, while Newt is the biggest kaiju fanboy on the planet, it's <laughs> <laughs> right. It's but, still a cloned alien. Brain. Yeah, and it, it does knock him on his ass too. But it, like, he's it looks like he's having a she- a seizure, and yeah, it doesn't go well. Mm-hmm. But um, we do learn that, or at least Newt learns quite a bit about the kaiju, uh, and learns like like basically what their whole shtick is. Mm-hmm. They are cre- They are intelligently designed they're not just some random creatures and they are there coming in waves to try to weaken humanity for these other entities to come in and colonize the planet i i guess the original idea was for these aliens to be the precursors of our universe and like they created it because their their world was like collapsing in on itself so they wanted a place to escape to so they created this alternate universe to go to and like let it flourish and build up and become uh, habitable. And then they were going to invade it and take over. And then I guess they, uh, Beecham and Del Toro were like, oh, that's a little more complicated than we really want to get into right now. <laughs> so it's, uh, they're aliens from somewhere else that are just coming in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're more of an invasive yeah, yeah. species than, than that. But uh, but we learn, yeah, we learn all of this, but um, Newt kind of realizes that the brain that he had was too old and damaged that he wasn't able to get quite mm-hmm. the clear clear enough picture, and he needs a better one. Um, so Pentecost directs him to somebody named Hannibal Chow, who is a basically a kaiju black market dealer. Like yeah. His, his crew goes in, harvests everything they can from the kaiju bodies. Um, he's got an arrangement with Pentecost right. to, to allow him to do this and then sell the bits and pieces on the black market. Yeah, because I guess there's a huge kaiju black market in this, yeah. in this world. And it's another one of those bits where I love the world building that mm-hmm. we see. Um, just even subtly, like there are quite a bit of of uh, like structures in Hong Kong that are built around the kaiju bones. Yeah, and, yeah. And we learn about all of these different uses that various kaiju bits have. Pe- people take uh, powdered kaiju bone as like a fertility aid. Yeah, and... as an aphrodisiac or a, or a male potency drug. Right, right. Is what they, they say it. But um, yeah, so it, it's really cool world building that that we get a taste of and I think that it's it's enough to to be cool but not enough to satisfy you know your thirst. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why a lot of these other subsequent media, you know, exists. But um meanwhile, um we also learn that uh, Pentecost very rapidly changes his mind on Mako being a pilot mm-hmm. and sends her to allow her to be Raleigh's uh co-pilot. Yeah. Um the two of them prepare to drift. Uh, also, I want to mention that the AI voice that sounds a lot like Gladys from the Portal series is not a coincidence. Yeah. Uh, Del, Toro, Del Toro apparently loved the Portal games and uh, very specifically approached Valve to get Ellen McLean, the voice of Gladys, to cameo in this movie as uh-huh. Gladys. I remember that being a, a big marketing push yeah. when, when that was announced. Yeah, so... Um, I mean, in this one, Del Toro has specifically said that in this universe, Gladys is not evil and bent on, you know, <laughs> human human annihilation yeah. or cake. 
but <laughs> but uh, this is in in universe. This is glass. Uh-huh. <laughs> they they get into the uh, they get into gypsy danger and prepare to drift, uh, kind of as a test. Mm-hmm. Um, and despite warnings, uh, Mako gets lost in the memory in her own memory, and right. it goes bad and pulls uh, Raleigh into it. Mm-hmm. And we get a little bit of a you know history with. Uh, we, we learn where Mako came from, or at least where her trauma comes from. Yeah. In a very, very touching scene, mm-hmm. I'd say, or, or intense scene, rather. Yeah, yeah. Things go very badly. They almost kill a bunch of people. They almost but, kill everyone. <laughs> yeah. But fortunately, uh, Raleigh is able to get pull Mako away from the brink. Mm-hmm. We get a scene where Newt is officially gets to meet Hannibal Chow in the Kaiju Black Market. Um, and, uh, of course, Hannibal Chow is played by Ron, Ron Perlman, Perlman. Yep. as and we all know and love. It's important to note that this is where we get our bug. <laughs> this is where we get our bug. I didn't even think about yep. that. Because the, um, the uh, kaiju apparently have skin lice yep. uh, that <laughs> don't survive too long off of the kaiju because um, they're ammonia-based. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Yeah, they have to be I, dumped I, into ammonia in order to be... Yeah, I guess that's a big problem with the kaiju, is they produce a lot of ammonia, <laughs> which is weird, but... Well, I it, mean, yeah. there's, there's your poison. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, this is also Ron Perlman's first uh, human role in a Del Toro movie since Kronos. Kronos? That's funny. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Hannibal Chow is named after Hannibal Chu from 1982's Blade Runner okay. um, out of universe. That's where the Del Toro got the name uh-huh. from because apparently Blade Runner was a huge influence on Del Toro as a filmmaker. And uh, But in universe, Hannibal's name is based off of his favorite historical character and his second favorite Szechuan restaurant in Brooklyn. Yep. That's where he got his name, the name from. <laughs> okay, so this is where Ron Perlman is. Does Doug Jones show up at any point in this? Not in this one. That's not, unfortunate. Not, not to my knowledge. He, I would, it would have been neat if he had, like, a cameo. Yeah, because I, I know cameo. he's done out-of-suit cameos in other Del Toro yeah. movies. Um, but anyway, um, we get a, a quick scene with, uh, with Chuck and Raleigh getting into a fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pentecost takes Mako off of the program officially. But we do get to see the rest of Mako's memory. And we learn that the reason that Pentecost is so protective of her is because... She is his adopted daughter. Yeah, yeah. Um, Do we know what that kaiju's name is, the one that attacks Japan? Onibaba. Onibaba, okay. I knew That's that. a good name for it. Yep. Raleigh is trying to convince Pentecost to change his mind again. Mm-hmm. Pentecost puts Raleigh in his place. We, we get that, like, first of all, never touch me. One, don't you ever touch me again. Two, don't you ever touch me again. Now... You have no idea who the hell I am or where I've come from, and I'm not about to tell you my whole life story. All I need to be to you and everybody on this dome is a fixed point. The last man standing. I do not need your sympathy or your admiration. All I need is your compliance and your fighting skills. And if I can't get that, then you can go back to the wall that I found you crawling on. Do I make myself clear? <laughs> He's so intense. I love it. It's a good line. This is probably my favorite uh, Idris Elba role. Like, he's really good as Heimdall in the Thor movies. I mean, we get, there's one and a half good Thor movies out of three so far. Yeah, and he, yeah. And he's, like, barely in them. Yeah, he, um, he doesn't have a huge amount of personality. Heimdall does not have a huge amount of personality. Yeah, I, but... I haven't seen Luther, which is where he, like, got huge. Yeah. From what I hear, it's amazing. I just sure. haven't seen it. Sure. 
Uh, I haven't seen Sonic 2, so I don't know how he is his knuckles. I'll tell you, he's a highlight. I bet, yeah. <laughs> Does he chuckle? <laughs> I don't think so. That's good, because Knuckles no, they, they play chuckle. they play Knuckles very much like a uh, I heard Drax. they play him as Drax. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. basically a Drax situation, but... But no, Idris Elba is really good as Drax. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> as Drax. <laughs> as Drax, as Knuckles. Um, <laughs> Drax as Knuckles, as played by uh, Idris Elba. Elba. Yep, but, um, and he, <laughs> it's unfortunate that the Gunslinger movie was really yeah. bad because Idris Elba was the perfect Oh, God, he was so perfect oh for that. God. I remember how, like, when that got announced, I remember you and me just shit ourselves in, like, <laughs> oh, my God, that's going to be so perfect. He is the perfect person for that. And then the movie was just... It was awful. It but... was so bad. <laughs> He's a, still a good Roland. Yeah. But that movie is just absolutely terrible. Um, He was going to be Bond for, like, he, there's a big push for him oh, to be Bond. Oh, my God, I would have killed for him to and be Bond. And he's kind of aged out of the role at this yeah. point. And he's... I think he's gone on record as saying that he doesn't want to do it anymore. Right. Which is unfortunate because he would have been just so oh cool. Oh, God. I would have... Like, I'm not huge on the Bond movies. Uh-huh. Um, I enjoy a few of them here and there. Mm-hmm. But if, if I just Elba had been Bond, I would have been That would have been amazing, that. yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no. This this is a good a good scene with, with him. Uh-huh. Um, a good one that really encapsulates Pentecost's personality and intensity. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, all of this is interrupted as two kaiju come through the breach. We have our double event that uh, that Herman uh, had predicted, um, and these are codenamed Otachi and Leatherback. And these are our like main kaiju for the movie. Pretty much, they're not the the end monsters, no. but these are the two big ones. Yeah. Um, and like uh, Otachi has a very distinct appearance and everything. Leatherback's just kind of a big guy. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which is kind of unfortunate for something that's going to be, like, one of your main... Yeah. Yeah. It would have been cooler to have Onibaba or something like that. Like, the big crab guy. But uh, but they, they do send out everybody but Gypsy Danger to intercept. Because <laughs> because uh, Gypsy Danger is still grounded. Well, yeah. Because Mako is still having issues and Pentecost has not fully come around to letting right. her pilot again. Um and now, since we're talking about the designs, I think this is probably be a good idea to to mention uh-huh. that the all of the kaiju, even though they are done in all CGI, right. were designed with the idea that they could be worn as suits. Mm-hmm. Del Toro specifically wanted their designs to be like you need to be able to imagine a human being within them, and acting that's like why them. they, for the most part, move like with these big, slow, exaggerated movements because it's well. To be fair, that's that is just a good staple of oh, yeah. kaiju. You, you want the kaiju to move slowly, which is um, kind of going off on a tangent here, is actually my biggest problem with Godzilla vs. Kong. Oh, really? Because they do not move slow. Yeah, it's true. It's they true. move like animals actually fighting, which uh-huh. which is... I I still enjoy that movie to a degree, uh-huh. but it is my least favorite of the uh, the newest trilogy because of that. Yeah. Well, largely part of because of that. But uh, but no, they, they do move very slowly, and... They move and look like people could be wearing them as mm-hmm. suits, which is just to me a very strong design choice. Yeah, but also a great homage to the kaiju genre for sure. For sure, um, the creatures' roars were all done by overlaying animal roars and growls, and then of course filtered like crazy. Um, but apparently, Del Toro and the sound designer Scott Martin Gershon also added samples of their own voices to try and give the roars a bit mm-hmm. of emotion. Yeah, I remember hearing that. And then uh, also, uh, one of the things that I think was a big criticism, but um, to me really works in the movie's favor because it was intended to, um, 
pretty much all of these fights take place in water. Right. They're they're in water or it's raining heavily. And that was a very clear decision on Del Toro to help mask the the CG, basically. Yeah, yeah. When you add in all of this rain and this water, it makes the monsters look like they belong in the setting better, and it helps mask the cheesiness of them just essentially being big cartoons. Yeah, they don't stand out quite so much. Right, right. I know that a lot of, like, critics hate that. They're like, oh, you can't see the monsters, which is bullshit because I think they look fantastic. In yeah, you movie. can still see them just you, fine. You have like, other movies where it's in, shot in perfect daylight, but there's so many cuts and shaky, and you don't know... Yeah. You don't see shit. Yeah. But in these, you, the shots are all very, very well established. They're very, very well done. Mm-hmm. Oh no, it's raining and there's a lot of water. But it, it helps give a lot more gravitas to the monsters. Yeah. It gives them a lot more of a presence. And yes, it makes them look like they belong in their environment. Yeah. And I mean, not just that, but like from just a historical standpoint, Godzilla is a sea creature. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense to have these things <laughs> fight in the water. Right. <laughs> But, uh, so we get a cool fight. Um, uh, Otachi, though, ends up killing uh, Crimson Typhoon. Yeah. Just bites its head off and, and kills the twin or the triplets. Um, and then Leatherback uh, kind of disables uh, Cherno Alpha. And, like, has an acidic and, vomit? Like, well, or is that. That's your thing. That's Otachi. Otachi. Yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, Leatherback kills Cherno Alpha by exploding it underwater. Right. Um, and then Leatherback sends off an MP, an EMP, an MP3. <laughs> sends off, off an, an MP3. MP3. <laughs> <laughs> Leatherback, play uh, Daruda. <laughs> no, Leatherback sets off an EMP that disables um, Striker Eureka and. Uh, Knocks him around. Uh, Herc ends up getting his arm really badly hurt. Uh-huh. But they're pretty much dead in the water. And Herc and, and Chuck end up just... <laughs> they do something really stupid. Yeah. They get their flare guns, get to the top, and they start freaking <laughs> Shoot. shooting leather back from on top they of They hit it. him in the eye, yeah. which is a good shot on the flare, because those things are not accurate. <laughs> but uh, fortunately, Gypsy Danger arrives just in time to save the last two. And, and like, this is where I want to talk about the fucking music. Okay. <laughs> Because I love the soundtrack for this movie. Each Jaeger has its own theme song that is super distinct. And, like, the, the just the overall Pacific Rim. Ba-da-bum, ba-ba-bum. It's just like, every time I hear that, like, my heart explodes out of my chest. It's it's intense. It's good music. It is very, very good. Yeah. Very Journal good Alpha has this, like, very, like, Russian-like <laughs> royal anthems-sounding uh, <laughs> song. And... Oh, it's just, I, I love the music. I can listen to the soundtrack all day. It's it's good music. So, so like, yeah, it it's like it's almost like a wrestling thing at this point because, like, <laughs> oh, shit, that's Gypsy Danger's entrance music. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that's that's a good way of looking at these things, though, especially yeah. with the uh, with the ad, the, uh, the the marketing that went into it beforehand uh-huh. and, and going into it. Like these things were supposed to be like that. And they really were. Universe, too. Yeah, like, yeah. These things were icons. It, it makes a lot of sense. Striker Eureka slammed leather back on the hardest part of the apron. <laughs> but uh, we get a really cool fight between Gypsy and Leatherback. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Lady Danger ends up killing Leatherback yeah. after a really cool fight. Um, but uh, they also have to they double tap Leatherback because of what happened with Knife Head. <laughs> <laughs> they check for a pulse. <laughs> yeah. Which um, is, is a funny throwback, but it's just like, okay... If, if taiju, kaiju blood is this toxic, you are just spraying so much of it everywhere. Uh-huh. <laughs> this stock is unusable now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, meanwhile, we find Otachi trying to hunt down Newt, who has been sent to a public refuge during the attack. Yeah. Um, and Newt kind of realizes that they are trying to hunt him down specifically because he drifted with them. Yep. And so they know him. <laughs> yeah, because the, uh, the the drift, this neurological link, is a two-way street. So. Yeah, which uh, Ron Perlman has to point out to him. <laughs> just yeah. like, did you not think about this? You science idiot. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just as Otachi is about ready to kill Newt because she finds him. She finds him um, in, the, in the public uh, shelter yep. and just goes right through the roof. Yep, and, uh, and uh, her tongue comes out and is about ready to get him, but then Gypsy Danger shows up with the scene that introduced me to this movie in general with the marketing and everything yeah. with Gypsy Danger walking up with an oil tanker and and using it as a battering ram yeah <laughs> as a bludgeon uh-huh um and it, we get a really really cool fight with Gypsy Danger and Otachi mm-hmm. um interesting uh the scene with Gypsy's fist going through the building and then hitting the uh the, the balls, executive toy mm-hmm. yeah is that is completely done with practical effects oh really yeah why <laughs> <laughs> Del Toro, I guess. But no, that's that's done with practical effects. It's a miniature that used a brand that's funny. that they overlaid Gypsy Danger's um, fist on. So Just when it goes ping and hits yep. the, the you know, desk toy. And it's funny, too, because it's one of the scenes that I actually don't care for all that much in the it's grand scheme It's very silly. It is very silly. But after I learned that it was practical effects, it flipped me around. I'm like, okay, no, that scene rocks. Yeah. it's <laughs> hilarious. So. Um... But they, they have this really cool fight where, uh, you know, Gypsy ends up taking off Otachi's tail, which was a big weapon for Otachi. Uh-huh. Um, and then Otachi spreads her wings that they didn't realize she had, and she brings Gypsy up into the lower atmosphere. Yep, which is not great for giant robots being yep. up there. <laughs> That's not where they belong. But uh, Gypsy then uses her la- their last-ditch effort and summons the sword and cuts Otachi in half. And then Free falls down to the ground, um, but fortunately, due to things, science, physics, sure. and other such, she's able to land safely. Because otherwise, she's like, the movie would stop. Yep. Um, <laughs> Just plam, and <laughs> she's gone. Yep. Nuclear explosion in the middle of Hong Kong. Oops. <laughs> roll, roll credits. <laughs> yeah, roll credits. Oopsie poopsie. <laughs> um, Hannibal's crew gears up to go and harvest the corpse, as per Pentecost's arrangement mm-hmm. with him. And Newt comes to collect. Like, yeah. He was like, yeah. I survived. Give him a damn brain. <laughs> it's laying out I, there in the street right now. <laughs> I want my butt brain. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, uh, Newt, uh, we, we didn't mention that, but Newt theorizes that they have, uh, or not even theorizes, I guess it's proven, but that the kaiju have two brains. He he uh, mm-hmm. he cites dinosaurs, and which isn't entirely isn't accurate. accurate. They don't have a second brain. They have a nerve cluster. Yeah, and, and it was... There's problems with that, but whatever. That's the that's the fiction that this weaves. Yeah, and I can't complain. They did it in Godzilla too. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> anyway, um, they they go to harvest the corpse, um, but they do learn that the secondary brain is slightly damaged. Um, and while their Hannibal's crew is inside getting ready to harvest it, uh, they discover that there's a babby inside. Yeah. <laughs> there's a babby. It's pregnant. Itachi. It's pregnant art. Pregante. Pregant. <laughs> How pregnant. is Babi Kaiju form? Yeah. Yes, uh, Otachi is pregnant, and um, the newborn climbs out and is, and attacks, 
but is strangled by its own umbilical cord. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hannibal also makes mention that its lungs hadn't fully formed or something. I don't care. Yeah. Whatever. Um, but uh, in its death throes, it eats Hannibal. Yep. Just gobbles him up. Yep. Leaves his shoe. Mm-hmm. We learn that uh, Pentecost got cancer from the radiation from the first line of Jaegers. Yeah, he says that they weren't super concerned about like radiation shielding in those because they were designed to get out there and fight as fast as possible, uh-huh. not to be safe. But uh, two new kaiju emerge from the breach and just kind of hang around it. These are designated Scunner and Raiju, which, again, is unfortunate. This is where it starts getting unfortunate for me because, like, these have really cool designs, uh-huh. but we don't get to see them much. No, we don't. Which which is why you were saying, like, Otachi and Leatherback were the two big ones. Yeah. But um, but we, we get these two new ones, and... And uh, Herman is concerned because, according to his calculations, there should be three, not just yeah. two. And he's very concerned about this. Yes. Uh, but he does decide to drift with the kaiju brain along with Newt to kind of share the neural load. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And they learn that this plan isn't going to work for some reason. Yeah. Um, but uh, meanwhile, uh, the plan that we now know is not going to work. Uh, they continue moving forward with uh-huh. it, but with Herc's mar- arm messed up, Pentecost decides to go ahead and uh, and pilot, yeah. co-pilot with Chuck. Because he brings nothing into the drift, and like he had psychoanalyzed Chuck from the moment he saw him and knew exactly who he was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but again, this is kind of that, that implication that you don't necessarily have to be completely compatible to... Mm-hmm. to pilot one of these things it just helps a lot <laughs> and yeah. Pentecost is compatible with probably a lot of different people especially Chuck because you were saying he psychoanalyzed him yeah. but um, and, and also because Pentecost is the on, the first person to have solo piloted a Jaeger and one of only two the other being Raleigh yep and uh, but Pentecost knows that like this is gonna be his last time like, yeah yeah success or fail he's not walking away from this one yeah um and he gives his awesome canceling apocalypse speech. Everyone, listen up. Today, today, at the edge of our hope, at the end of our time, We have chosen not only to believe in ourselves, but in each other. Today, there's not a man nor woman in here that shall stand alone. Not today. Today, we face the monsters that are at our door and bring the fight to them. Today, we are canceling the apocalypse. And then uh, uh, they finally, um, Newt and Herman, let them know why the plan isn't going to work, which is not nearly as dramatic as they were making it sound like the movie was building up. Um, They just basically learned that the Breach reads kaiju signatures and won't let something through unless it has kaiju DNA. Yeah, yeah. So even if they try to drop the nuke in, it's just going to bounce it back out and blow up in their faces. Yeah, yeah. That honestly was not that big of a revelation, but whatever. Um 
But then a third kaiju emerges from the breach, which is the first Category 5, and uh-huh. is codenamed Slattern. And he has a cool design. Again, yeah, a really cool design. Big squid-looking motherfucker. That we do not get to see much. Yeah, yeah. And that's my He problem. gets that big, like, emergence scene where he's just like, uh-huh. and then, like, other than that, you just see tentacles and limbs flailing. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, and then we have a huge underwater fight uh, with these three kaiju against Gypsy and um, Striker. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gypsy almost kills Scunner, but not before losing an arm. And getting its leg all jacked up. Yeah, and then and then uh, Gypsy does kill Raiju, just cutting him in half. Um, Striker is pretty messed up in the fight and can't deliver the payload. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pentecost realizes that Gypsy, being a nuclear Jaeger, <laughs> is an alternate payload so he orders raleigh and mako to jump into the breach and he prepares to sacrifice himself as well as poor chuck in this uh with with their payload so um they do detonate the nuke killing to try to kill the three remaining or i guess the two remaining kaiju at this point um in a very very sad like triumphantly sad yeah yeah um especially for uh i feel for uh for Herc because he's basically watching his son die uh-huh. and sacrifice himself. Still has to go on with the rest of the uh-huh. mission, yeah. But um, Gypsy grabs a hold of a, a kaiju carcass and hauls it towards the breach, but Slattern isn't quite dead yet. This yeah. nuke did not finish off Slattern. Um, and Gypsy ends up fighting it killing on the way down towards the breach, killing it on the way and like using it. Like venting its, uh, venting Gypsy's, uh, like... Nuclear... Yeah, it's a fry of a thing. Yeah. Uh, but using Slattern's body as the energy signature, or the kaiju signature, they're able to get into the breach. And um, Raleigh sends Mako off in an escape pod while he goes in and passes through this wormhole and emerges on the alien dimension at this cloning facility. Uh-huh. Um, and he sets off the nuke um, and, you know, it escapes him for himself. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he gets it back just in time. Uh, Mako and Raleigh emerge on the surface and get out of their pods, and they don't kiss. And that's super important. It is very, very important. It's a simple thing that you probably would, most people probably wouldn't even notice. Yeah, but like the they're they respect each other. You can definitely tell that they're friends at this point. They're not in a relationship. Yeah, it's it is one of it, it is a very refreshing take that not all strong bonds especially between two gender two opposing genders uh-huh. have to be romantic yeah yeah it is so reflect like it's so refreshing we, um, like the the types of bonds that we see with the Jaeger pilots is all over the map we have siblings we have a father and a son we have a married couple we've got Mako and Raleigh who like just met three days ago but are already like realizing that they are the same person <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, it's it's awesome, and uh, even the movie starts to build up this like Mako and Raleigh like romance early uh-huh. on, especially when like Mako's watching him undress. Um, and, yeah, and and that's the way you think you're gonna go. They're gonna go, but as they become closer, they both realize that that's not the case. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's very very nice and very important, and I I just really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and the rest is just kind of clean up. I'm not going to really cover all of the details, but... Um, Ron Perlman lives. Ron Perlman does live. <laughs> he comes out. He wants his shoe. 
Um, interesting, I guess, uh, Ron Perlman actually kept the shoes. I bet he did. I would have. Um, and his wife eventually melted them down. Oh, and no! Had them, re- um, had them uh, redone into heels for herself. <laughs> okay, no, that's even better. <laughs> oh, man. I love that lady. <laughs> and that was Pacific Rim. That was the... Yeah. One of the best, honestly, the best uh, movie for the kaiju renaissance that we would see. Um, yeah. Like, this movie's legacy is bigger than its reach, I think. Yeah, like, I, I agree. The Like we were saying, it didn't do great, especially domestic box office. Like, it, it did died, not. It, it died. died in America, but... But it was bi- it was big overseas, especially in China. Oh yeah, China which would it. have repercussions, maybe. <laughs> but um, but it's just like the the fact that we got so many kaiju movies after the fact mm-hmm. from this is just like it, it is a beloved movie from the people who who love it, love it a ton. Uh, yep, case in point. Yeah, for sure, Us. for, sure. for I, sure. I've met friends through this movie. Like I remember, like when. The uh, daily T-shirt websites were huge, and they they did a few Pacific Rim shirts, and I ended up getting the same set of shirts as one of my friends, and we both freaked out. <laughs> it was just like <laughs> it. It's a it was a it's a beloved movie. Like I mm-hmm. I cannot express how how important this movie is to me. I I agree. I agree with you, and and I think that there's a lot to be said that. You're right. This isn't as nuanced, or at least on the surface, it isn't as nuanced or as as poetic as some of Del Toro's other yeah. movies. But when you delve into it, like, and especially for us, no, this one is yeah as important, if not more so, right. than some of Del Toro's other works. Yeah, it's it's better than Mimic, at least. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but that was that. Um, I think that uh, we've said enough about it. Yeah. Let's go ahead and... We can talk for another couple hours, but... (laughs) Right. Uh, Let's go ahead and jump on over to the crunch. This is back in the class last. With an open on his lap, he plans his task. To make a giant robot. How's that? And bring the real Orange County back. So welcome back. We are uh, jumping into this crunch, and of course, we're very excited because this is my crunch. Yeah. This is my first kaiju. So I went in a pretty straightforward direction, I think. Okay. Um, but uh, we're, we're, we'll touch on that here in a second. I wa- first wanted to talk about my naming convention for this okay. thing. Yeah, I was wondering about that. So I based my creature off of Otachi. Okay. Because Otachi is arguably the most important kaiju in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely the most predominant and most versatile. Right. Uh, and, in my opinion, one of the more interesting monsters. Um, so that's who I decided to go ahead and uh, to emulate here. Now, Otachi... Uh, in Japanese, and the only the only thing that I could find is this one little line. Otachi means, or otachi is basically a polite term for calling, departing, and staying where one is. Okay. I have no idea what that means. Okay. I was originally going to take the literal meaning of otachi and try to meld it into my own mm-hmm. monster, like name, but that failed pretty abruptly huh. because I don't know what that means. Those are words that I don't quite grasp together. Like, okay. I can't... Wrap my head around that one. However, um, most sources say that Otachi is often confused with Udachi okay. in Japanese, which is a type of Japanese sword. 
Okay, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay, maybe there's something there. So I started doing a little bit more research, i.e. I looked up Google Translate. Go, and buddy. I took the Japanese word for that type of sword mm -hmm. and the Japanese word for tail. Okay. And I portmanteaued them together. So okay. we have a Shippadachi. I'm sure we do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's when the name comes from. It's a Shippadachi. Um, now, Shippadachi is a gargantuan aberration, a titan, okay. who is neutral evil. Okay. I based most of Shippadachi's stats and, and abilities uh -huh. and everything, stat block, off of the Tarrasque. I figured that's where you were going to go. Yep. Um, like, it was either that or the, the uh, Void Titan. So, it's not... <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and I went ahead and gave it neutral evil instead of the usual unaligned for uh -huh. creatures of this nature. Because the Titan, because the Kaiju in this movie have a purpose. And that purpose is to kill all humanity. Right. It seems pretty evil to me. <laughs> so, um... Uh, Otachi here has an armor class of 25, Fuck. which is natural armor. Uh, hit points, an average hit points of 590. Fuck! And a 60 feet speed and a 60 foot fly speed, which is faster than the Tarrasque. Yeah. Also, Tarrasque can't fly. Yeah. Um, as such, I did decrease some of Otachi's uh, attributes compared to the Tarrasques. Uh, so she's not as... Uh, She's not as strong as the Tarrasque, nor as uh, beefy. Okay. Um, she's got a 25 in strength. She is more dexterous. I gave her a 20 in dexterity. Okay. And a 25 in constitution. Okay. Um, our Shippadachi is also relatively smart. Uh, 10 in intelligence, 11 in wisdom, and 11 in charisma. Very charismatic giant monster. Well, to be fair, the wisdom and charisma, that's what the Tarrasque has, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm like, all right, whatever. They know what they're doing. Um, she's got saving throw proficiencies in dexterity, intelligence, and wisdom. Um, and just like the Tarrasque, she's got damage immunities to fire, poison, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical attacks. Mm -hmm. I also gave her an immunity to acid. Okay. Uh, condition immunities of charmed, frightened, paralyzed, and poisoned. Okay. Passive perception of 10. She's got the challenge rating 30, just like the Tarrasque, which is a proficiency bonus of plus 9. Okay. Um, she's got legendary resistance, magic resistance, and the siege monster abilities. Her attacks, or actions, I gave her a multi-attack. Uh, Shippadachi can use her frightful presence and then make five attacks. One with its bite, two with its claws, one with its tail, and one with its tongue. Alternatively, it can use acid breath inst once instead of its two claw attacks. Very similar to the Trask. Okay. Um, her bite, plus 17 to hit, uh, has a reach of 10 feet because she's big, and uh, deals an average of tw uh, 29 piercing damage, and if the target is a creature, it is grappled with an escape DC of 18, and until the grapple ends, the target is restrained, and she can't bite another target. Okay. Uh, she's got claw attacks, uh, which have, again, 17 to hit, reach of 15 feet, deal an average of 23 slashing damage, pretty okay. standard, mm -hmm. and then her tail. Now, this is the one, like, obviously the Tarrasque has a tail attack, but it's just a bludgeoning, and that's that's that. I mean, it, it I think it can knock them prone, but right. um, this one was a bit different, because Itachi has a pretty distinctive tail. It does, yeah. It's got that claw. Um, so, her attack is uh, plus 17 to hit. She's got a reach of 25 feet. That's long. It is long. Um, she's got a long tail. Uh, and on a hit, she does an average of 30 uh, piercing damage, 66 plus 9. And then if the target is a creature... It is grappled with an escape DC of 18. 
And until this grapple ends, the target is restrained and the Shippodachi can't use its tail attack on another target. However, it can throw the grappled target. If the thrown target hits a solid object, it takes falling damage equal to 3d6 plus an additional 1d6 for every 10 feet it moved. Wow. Just like falling. Yeah. So. Um, her tongue attack, uh, pretty simple just because we don't see her actually do anything in the in the movie mm-hmm. with the tongue other than menace Newt. <laughs> but I imagined that it would do a little bit of damage, uh, plus 17 to hit, reach of 15 feet, it's a long tongue, mm-hmm. and uh, deals an average of 20 acid damage. Okay. Pretty simple. Uh, she's, of course, got frightful presence, and then, as I mentioned, uh, the acid breath recharges on a 5 to 6. She exhales acid in a 90-foot line that is 10 feet wide. It's based off of the, uh, the ancient black dragon. Okay. Um, and then each creature in that line has to make a DC 22 dexterity saving throw or take 15 D10 acid damage on a failed save or half as much on a successful one. Average of 83 acid damage in a turn is rough. And in addition yeah. to all of her other attacks. And then, of course, she's got legendary actions. She can take up to three um, attack. She can make an, a claw or a tail attack. She can move, which is moving up to half her speed. Or she can use her acid breath, which costs two actions, and she can do it regardless of whether the attack is recharged or not. Oh, that's ugly. Yes. (laughs) Then you may notice there's something else. Yeah, I saw that there was one of her traits that you didn't quite cover, Matt. So she does have a trait that I I simply called Dying Mother. Okay. When the Shippodachi is reduced to zero hit points and dies, a Shippodachi child emerges from the body within 1d6 rounds, acting on the Shippodachi's initiative. And I created a stat block for the Shippodachi child. Okay. Uh, the Shippodachi child is a huge aberration, neutral evil, just like the mother. Armor class of 16, which is natural armor. An average of only 44 hit points. Okay. She's got um, an 18 in strength, 14 in dexterity, and a 5 in intelligence. She's a newborn. And then, the, and then 10 in constitution. The rest are, you know, are, in, are wisdom and charisma, the same as the mother. Okay. Um, she's got, instead of damage immunity, she's just got damage resistance. To fire, poison, acid, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical. Okay. She still gets the same condition immunities, because that, to me, makes a lot of sense. But she's only a challenge rating 5, as opposed to 30. Um, it is a baby. It is a baby. Um, you may be wondering, like, and, and I almost didn't do this, uh, because it's like, after a party of presumably level 20 characters takes on uh-huh. a, a challenge rating 30 monster... A challenge rating five monster is probably not going to be that big of a threat. <laughs> it's true. Until I realized that the party probably used a lot of their resources taking down the big one. Yeah. And as long as they don't know what's coming, <laughs> this could be a last little bit of like a... Ah! <laughs> Why the hell did that happen? <laughs> Nobody told me these things were Matryoshkas. <laughs> they just keep getting smaller <laughs> even smaller one pops out of this one until you're just getting attacked by nano sized <laughs> monsters it's infecting my bloodstream <laughs> it's getting in there <laughs> um so our shippodachi child has magical resistance just like the mother but other than that she didn't carry over any other traits okay but i did give her a dying breath ability um, which is, I guess, a little bit of a misnomer, but whatever. Uh, when <laughs> Dead she, breath. <laughs> yeah, when she is reduced to zero hit points, she can use her reaction to make a bite attack and then one swallow attack before dying. Okay. <laughs> For obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then kind of 
Piggybacking off of that, her multi-attack, uh, she can take three attacks, uh, one with her bite and two with her claws. Um, they are very similar to the adult versions, just scaled down quite a bit, uh, with plus seven to hit, respectively, um, dealing an average of 11, uh, 11 piercing damage for the bite, 10 for the claws. Uh, the bite, if the target is medium or smaller, it can, it'll be grappled with an escape DC of 14. Mm -hmm. And uh, just like any other biting creature, it is restrained. And then she does have the swallow ability, which is copied whole hog from yeah. pretty much everything that has swallow. Right. Um, okay. Issue. Go ahead. The swallow attack is not going to actually do anything. Okay. Oh, <laughs> I see what you're saying. <laughs> like, when the dying breath happens, Matt, they'll take... The monster will take a do a bite attack mm -hmm. and then do a swallow attack, swallowing the creature, mm -hmm. and then die, which will eject the swallowed creature. When a when the Shippodachi child dies, a swallowed creature is no longer restrained by it and can escape by using right, right, right. movement. Yeah, but it's so, it's not going to take any damage or anything. Um, it's just going to be inside the corpse. Because it takes damage yeah, at the start oh, yeah. of each of its turns. That's inconvenient, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I've been swallowed and it's annoying. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying it's not going to actually do anything. No, that's a good point that I did overlook. Um, if, if I might make a hit suggestion, have it do two bite attacks with the dying breath. Okay. Instead of a swallow attack? Yes. Because, okay. I mean, the swallow attack is what happens in the movie, <laughs> but it will not do anything. <laughs> no, I actually want to do something different than okay. that. Okay, okay, okay. Instead, I would like to, instead of the swallowed creature no longer being restrained by it and can escape, I want to say... It can attempt to escape from the corpse using a five feet of movement and succeeding on a DC, let's say, 14 strength saving throw. Okay. Exiting prone on a success or taking. There you go. All right. So, yeah. Instead yep, of, instead of just better. automatically coming out. Yeah. They... Uh, the only difference between the swallow, yes, now, is that the creature is no longer restrained by it and can try to escape from the corpse using five feet of movement and succeeding on, er, on and making, I should make, say that, and making a DC 14 saving throw, exiting prone on success, or taking an average of 10 acid damage on a failure and not freeing itself. Alrighty. Okay, yeah, that's that's that sound much, a little bit better. Yeah, because <laughs> so it's like that's cool, and that's what we see in the movie, but it's not gonna do. <laughs> it's anything. not gonna do much of anything other than just. <laughs> I'm in a corpse now. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll get out. Wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. And I think I'm gonna change that from acid damage to eh, no, 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 acid's no, fine. fine. Okay, that's fine. So there we go. That's my uh, that's yeah. my first kaiju. Um, so what do you think, Chris? What do you think of my? My kaiju and subsequent baby. I like them. I'm glad you got to do that. <laughs> Me too. Um, the problem I was running into, because I have done two kaiju-sized monsters at this point for the, the kibbles, mm -hmm. is like when they get that big, there's not a whole lot you can do with them because like their main their main thing is they're big and they do a ton of damage. Right. They, they're not going to do a whole lot of special shit. Right, right. Which I think is why the this methodology uh -huh. um like the jurassic is cool but not really versatile like you can't really use it in a lot of situations uh-huh and i think the shippodachi is basically uh, i mean obviously just a reskin jurassic almost uh-huh almost completely um but i would definitely not do this for every other kaiju that i make no um so it's gonna make the I, i've got some ideas for the kibbles 
but I've, I've got some other things in the works as far as future kaiju movies that I am planning on doing. Yeah, because um, we, we have plans in the in the making mm-hmm. for other such things. Yep. But I'm a, we'll cross that bridge we when we get to it. We have such sights to show you. <laughs> um, so in the meantime, though, I think this serves perfectly fine. Yes, it does. Alrighty. Like so with that, um, Chris, we're done with Mayamal del Toro. Thank God. What a month it's been. Like, the, I'm glad we started recording these so far in advance because it's been rough. It's been... There's been a couple days where we haven't been able to record like we wanted to because of reasons. me working or getting sick or whatever. And it's just been a lot. The, this... This yeah, is why like, we don't do this shit weekly. Yeah, I... I, I... We, we originally <laughs> kicked around the idea of doing the show weekly and... Then we were just like, I don't yeah, know if we're going to be able to do month, that. I'm glad that we did not do that for sure. Yeah, this, yeah. This has been a lot, but it's been a lot. Um, but I did have fun. I did have a lot of fun with it. Uh, mm-hmm. Love Del Toro. Yeah, I mean, we've love kind of movies. pretty well burnt through his oeuvre now. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot else we can do. But like, we can definitely look into some of the movies he's produced because sure. these were all movies he directed. Uh huh. And like, there, there's definitely movies he's produced that we could do. Like, we, there's Hellboy too. We can look into that. Um. But yeah, like I'm, I'm glad to be done with it. As much as I as <laughs> loved too. all these movies, me too. But that does mean that we have, uh, we have another a regular episode yeah. coming out in two weeks. In two weeks, we can, we can breathe. <laughs> yep. Uh, so Chris, um, that means it's going to be your choice because it is. I had the first, I had the last choice before Mail Moldoporo, and then I just did this one. So yeah, yeah. Chris, what are we doing? Uh, we are going to do the 2020 movie, um, Psycho Goreman. Oh, sweet! Yeah, I, I've been wanting to watch that one. It's it's so good, man. I love it. <laughs> uh, all right, well, cool. There's so many fucking weirdos in that movie. <laughs> oh, man, I've been excited to do that one ever since I, I put it on the list. So. Uh-huh. Uh, cool. That sounds fun. Uh, so thank you all for listening. Hope to see you back in a couple weeks for that. Um, as always, uh, you can support us on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash creaturecrunch where you can get some of our extra stat blocks and rule sets for all the little extra the, the things that we've, we've done. Yeah. Yep. Um, you can also reach us at, uh, on Twitter at creature crunch, or you can email us creature crunch podcast at gmail.com. Um, if you want to check out the stat blocks and use them for yourself mm-hmm. or just criticize them or whatever else, <laughs> yell at us. Yep. There are links uh, in the description, in the description on our Twitter um, or you can find them, uh, at least most of them, on D and D Beyond under my old D and D Beyond handle, which is the underscore best underscore disguise. Um, other than that, uh, if we you want to reach us individually, Chris, uh, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Library C. Uh, recently, I've been into painting miniatures, so I like the first time I've ever attempted to do that. So I've been putting up pictures of those recently. Mm-hmm. I've been doing. Uh, Working my way through uh, Come On Games X Men United right now. Yep, and they they look fantastic. They they're you're doing a really good job on Thank it you. for uh, for amateur painting, like better and than working, I can do. And working with the disability. Yeah. So, uh, and then you can find me on Twitter as well. Uh, I am of course at Danny underscore Hamstake. I don't do a lot on Twitter. You do not. Um, <laughs> I exist on Twitter, but yeah. that's about it. Um, I I'll every now and then post up weird puzzles that I've done and. Make fun of them. Um, <laughs> or yell at brands. <laughs> a lot of yelling at brands. <laughs> Twitter Twitter is my weapon, and I am not afraid to use it. Matt, Matt uses Twitter like a truncheon. 
But uh, we will see you in a couple weeks. Uh, thank you so much for listening. See you.